When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome into 49ers Access. My name is Sterling Bennett, and boy, this week, week number, what, four? Week number four of the Bird Gauntlet, Arizona Cardinals versus the San Francisco 49ers. Niners come in 10-3, 5-0 against the NFC West. The Cardinals themselves come in 3-10, 0-4 against the NFC West, and San Francisco comes off a week in which they reclaimed the number one seed in the NFC. Again, have that five-game winning streak, having already beat the Cardinals earlier this year in week number four, beat them 35-16, to where Chris McCaffrey had four touchdowns. Ayuk had six catches, 148 yards. And if they win again this week, if they sweep the Cardinals this year, like they've already swept the Seattle Seahawks, they will then have clinched the entire NFC West division. They were the first team to clinch a playoff berth when the Packers lost to the Giants this past Monday. They can also become the first team to clinch their division this season with the win over the Cardinals this week. Welcome into the podcast. Yes, I know if you're watching on video, I have doubled down on the theater thug from Drake and Josh look for two weeks in a row. I need a haircut. I'm going to get one tomorrow, so bear with me one more week to get theater thug look, but let's dive in to the Niners versus the Cardinals. But before we do that, I want to tell you two things. One, you can follow us on social media at 49ers underscore access. That's the Twitter. Instagram, 49ers.access. Use our promo code 49ersaccess, 49ERSACCESS at SeatGeek.com. Even if you want to buy tickets to this game in Arizona this Sunday at 1.05 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, you can still use that promo code and save yourself $20 off. But before we dive into this game itself, because there really isn't much to discuss in regards to what happens on the gridiron on Sunday, I want to address something that happened earlier this week when uh, good old Cam Newton decided to open his mouth, and I respect Cam Newton. Cam Newton was in the NFL for a decade, uh, excellent college career, excellent NFL uh prime, you could say, MVP award winner, 15-1 season, almost had a Super Bowl championship. He was, at a time, the best, or at least one of the best quarterbacks in the entire NFL. Uh, it does seem like since then, uh, he's a little bitter towards not having a job, and unfortunate things happen. He got banged up, and your body falls apart. Cam's a big-body guy. He likes to run. He can still do that, but that shoulder just isn't what it used to be. But Cam decided to open up his mouth and spew the rhetoric that Brock Purdy, amongst other quarterbacks, are is just a game manager. 
And the quotes I have from him are, this is from Cam Newton, not the reason they're winning. Brock Purdy's not the reason they're winning. He just manages the game. He's just not turning the ball over. They're not asking him to score every time he has the ball. And so to quickly disprove Cam's argument, which you would think through 13 games this year and a handful of games last year would already have been disproven. Uh, funny enough, uh, it hasn't been because the media is still spewing this stuff. But to disprove Cam's argument, or at least respond to it, uh, my message to Cam Newton would be, Brock Purdy, the game manager. If that's what you want to call him, let me ask you these questions. Would Brock Purdy, would a game manager lead the entire NFL in completion percentage at 70.2%. If you say yes, okay, let's move on. Would a game manager have more passing yards than Dak Prescott, Josh Allen, and Patrick Mahomes? If you say yes, okay, let's move on. Would a game manager have more passing touchdowns than Jalen Hurts, Trevor Lawrence, and Lamar Jackson? Would a game manager have a higher QBR at 74.7 and a passer rating at 116.9, basically 117? Would he have a higher QBR and passer rating than every other quarterback in the NFL? All while having a 10-3 record as the number one seed in his conference, being the first team to clinch a playoff spot leading an offense that's averaging the fourth most points in the entire NFL and the league's most explosive and number one scoring offense per drive. Would that classify this quarterback, Brock Purdy, as a game manager? Um, I don't think I would use the term game manager. You can say at times he has to manage the game. You're right, Cam. He's not turning the ball over. You're right, Cam. They're not They're not saying, hey, Brock Purdy, score every time you have the ball. No, Brock Purdy isn't the only reason they're winning. But Brock Purdy is a reason why they're winning. Brock Purdy is quarterbacking the most explosive offense in the entire NFL, not just managing the game. He's not just not turning the ball over. He has the third best touchdown to interception ratio in the entire league. And yes, Cam, yes, Cam, he is scoring on nearly every drive he has. So I get it, Cam. You see a small, undersized, seventh round pick, tiny white quarterback that looks like Johnny Manziel, and you go, he's a game manager. He looks like a backup quarterback in the league that somehow plays 10 years, but actually only plays about three games over that entire span. I get that. He looks like Tommy DeVito minus the Italian heritage. He looks like somebody that shouldn't be in the NFL, shouldn't have made it this far. He looks like somebody that isn't 6'5 and built like an Adonis like you, Cam Newton. He doesn't look like a Patrick Mahomes or a Josh Allen, someone that you can say is the prototypical NFL franchise quarterback. His story isn't the same as a national championship winning Heisman winning quarterback that comes into the league as a first round pick or a first overall pick and lights the entire league up. That's not Brock Purdy. 
That's not who he's ever been, who, who he will ever be. He was told by Nick Saban, you're not good enough. And he told Nick Saban, I'm going to make you swallow your words and regret saying that. Goes to Iowa and has a fine career, gets hurt, and just was supposed to be a number or, or, or a first-round pick for a chunk of time there, gets hurt, never the same afterwards. Comes into the NFL, third-string quarterback, somehow supplants Nate Sudfeld, who was given guaranteed money. Again, Brock Purdy continuing to defy the odds of what an NFL quarterback is supposed to look like. But still, after all of the disproving, after all of the statistics favor him, he gets this game manager title. He gets this, all he's doing is not turning the ball over and all he's doing is giving it to Debo and Ayuk and Kittle and McCaffrey, and certainly he does those things. He is definitely a product of an amazing system. So would every other quarterback that has played in this system. Hence, the Nick Mullins success in 2018. Hence, Jimmy Garoppolo, who I like Jimmy. We've seen him in Las Vegas. Now, they're dysfunctional, but we've seen Jimmy in Las Vegas. Not the same guy. We've seen Matt Ryan have his best season in this exact or similar system in Atlanta. There's a reason why Matt Ryan, who is a borderline Hall of Famer, wasn't the same after Shanahan left. It was never as good prior to Shanahan getting there. It's no knock on those quarterbacks. Yes, Brock Purdy, in a way, is a product of the system, but he is by no means a system game-managing quarterback. The stats don't add up to that. The film, the tape, the, the tight window throws, the off-schedule plays do not put his name in a dictionary next to game manager. We've seen a thousand game managers prior to Brock Purdy. He is not one of them. Brian Hoyer, game manager. Jared Goff, game manager. At a certain extent, like Ken Newton said himself, Dak Prescott before this year was kind of a game manager. When the tough gets going, he falls apart. That's a game manager. Jimmy G was a game manager. You can do a lot of winning with a game manager when you have an elite offense, or excuse me, defense and amazing weapons around them. We've seen that plenty of times. And I get it, Cam. You had Ted Ginn and, and Kelvin Benjamin, and you didn't really have a running game. D'Angelo Williams, Jonathan Stewart, all due respect to all of those players, you didn't have this offense around you. And boy, what could Cam Newton have been had he had Debo, had he had Ayuk, had he had Kittle and McCaffrey, and even a Kyle Shanahan calling plays? It would have been amazing to watch. But the fact that Cam is more concerned about putting on his 17 different layers, his overalls, his Christmas sweater, his hat, has to find the right kind of glasses to wear that day because it's not going to match the outfit, but in the same breath wants to call Brock Purdy a game manager, when all Brock Purdy has done is win, been successful, have more passing yards than Mahomes and Allen and more touchdowns passing through the air than Lawrence and Hurts and others, that you would classify as a franchise Super Bowl caliber, MVP caliber quarterback. Brock Purdy is no game manager. Sure, at times he manages the game like every other quarterback in the history of the league has. At a certain time, we called Tom Brady a game manager. Then he had an amazing 2000, what was it, 9 or 7, whatever it was, where he had 50 touchdown passes. 
late in his career, you might say Peyton Manning was a game manager for the Broncos once he hurt or, or, or once he was injured. Sure. Then they showed the world who they truly were. Manning with the Colts was no game manager. He threw, what, 18 picks in a year. You know, game manager, 30 picks in a year. was no game manager as a rookie. Peyton Manning, who had that label for a handful of time, despite being a first-round pick. Tom Brady, similar story to Brock Purdy. Late-round pick, every team passed on him. 199th overall, Brock Purdy, seventh-round pick. All the way down to the seventh round, Mr. Irrelevant. Oh, he's a game manager. He's not going to beat out Jimmy. He's not going to beat out Trey. Tom Brady. He's not going to beat out Drew Bledsoe. And by no means am I calling Brock Purdy Tom Brady 2.0. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. But the fact of the matter is, is that you want to put the title game manager on someone who is lighting up the NFL because you want to discredit who they are because you don't believe in them when in fact... Has Cam Newton ever watched Brock Purdy play? The odds are no. The odds are no. I don't think Cam Newton has ever, ever at college, these past, what, two years, almost one full season to play, he's never watched Brock Purdy play football. He has not watched a single snap outside of a highlight play and go, wow, this is all based off perception, looks, spur of the moment. Ah, he doesn't look like how he's supposed to look. Sometimes you're not supposed to look the way you're supposed to look. I was an intern at Fox Sports Radio in college with kids that went to Clemson, Ohio State, NYU, kids I had no business being around, USC. I went to a small private college, Azusa Pacific, and I heard all these big names and said, I'm not supposed to be here. This is not... uh, the crowd or, or, or the group that I would place myself in. These are acclaimed colleges of journalist degrees that have a handful of, of alumni that donate thousands and thousands of dollars who have gigantic names in the industry. And I went to a small school called the Azusa Pacific in Southern California. I had no business being there. Brock Purdy has truly no business doing what he's doing. Because people like Cam Newton will look back and say, he doesn't look the part. He isn't built the right way. When in fact, like any good team, whether it's maybe the Cam Newton-led Panthers, maybe it's the Big Ben-led Steelers, or the Tom Brady-led Patriots, they take on the personality of their quarterback. Brock Purdy is a fighter. He's fought for everything he's received in the NFL, in college. Battled through injury. He's improved his game every step he can. There was no deep ball threat last year, really. Now there's a deep ball threat with him at quarterback. Sure, he would take risks. Sure, he would do things you might say, hey, don't do that. But it worked this time. This year, Brock Purdy has improved his game despite not having a complete offseason. He's doing things that most young quarterbacks can't do. Get better in year number two. 
He's doing things that many first-round picks failed to even accomplish, become an NFL starting caliber quarterback, and he's not just doing that. He's second in MVP odds, might as well be first behind Dak Prescott. He's already beaten the Cowboys, already beaten the Eagles, already won two playoff games, already swept Seattle twice, beaten them four straight times, two times in Seattle himself, already clinched the playoffs this year, and all of his stats either align or surpass other quarterbacks you would deem franchise-looking, franchise-caliber, the elites of the elites. No, I'm not saying Brock Purdy's a top-10 quarterback. I'm not saying he's an elite quarterback, although I do think he might be both those things. What I'm saying here is that Cam, if you don't know, just say you don't know. It's okay to just not know. That's fine. Sometimes I don't know. <laughs> if you told me, hey, Sterling, who's going to win Philadelphia against Seattle on Monday night? I would say, I hope it's Seattle, but I don't know. Hey, Sterling, what happens after you die? I think I have an answer, but realistically, I don't know. <laughs> I hope I know, but I don't know. I haven't died yet. I hope I don't soon, but I haven't died yet. I'm 27 years old. I have no idea, Cam. The only thing Cam Newton seems to know is how to put a video on social media to get clicks and likes and views because that's where his career is at now. I do the same thing sometimes. It's no disrespect. I appreciate the hustle. I don't hate the player. I hate the game. I'm in that game. I get it, Cam. But if you're going to come in a quarterback that's done everything right, literally nothing wrong, has won it every step of the way, on every level, has dueled the Jalen Hurtses in college, has beaten the Jalen Hurtses in the NFL, have beaten the best defenses he's ever going to face in a year and a half of actual play, has numbers with the likes of Joe Montana and Kurt Warner and MVP Aaron Rodgers and MVP Tom Brady, yet the title game managing is true in the years of some doesn't make sense. Again, it's hard to fathom this actually being real and it actually being true. But Brock Purdy is no Santa Claus. He's no Easter Bunny. He is no mythical creature. He's no Loch Ness Monster. He isn't even a unicorn. Brock Purdy is plain and simple an NFL starting caliber quarterback, and he's a damn good one. Maybe top 10. Maybe top 5. I don't know. This year, though, he certainly is. This year, in 2023, 2024, in what, 16, 17 days... Brock Purdy will still be heralded as a top five quarterback this season. He will still be likely a number one seed in the NFC. Plenty of games to be played. Plenty of things to be had and done. But the game manager dink and dunk title needs to leave that conversation. I can read you stats all day to disprove that. Don't even have to. Just watch the tape. It's so clear. Any Niner fan, any team that has played the Niners, there's a reason why they get angry because we lost to Brock Purdy. Go look at every Eagles fan after they got beat by Brock Purdy in San Francisco. They couldn't believe they lost to him. He dresses like he came out of a JCPenney catalog with some khaki pants and a sweater and a white t-shirt underneath it. He looks like your typical 18-year-old private school, preppy boy. You're not supposed to lose to that guy, but he carries himself like a humbled young man. 
from Iowa in the cornfields. This man has done literally nothing wrong and everything right. And people on Twitter just cannot believe they're losing to him because he doesn't look the part. I thought we were past that when Drew Brees did it and Russell Wilson did it. And I'm not saying Purdy's those guys, but uh, perception isn't always reality. You hear things from other people and he said, she said. Sometimes that person didn't actually said it. Sometimes those things weren't actually told or, or said. Sometimes you have to go to the source. And for Cam Newton, I would ask you, go to the source. Don't listen to FS1 or ESPN. Just watch Brock Purdy play and I guarantee you your mind will change. It's so, so clear. Okay, 20 minutes of hyping up Brock Purdy. So what's going to happen on Sunday between San Francisco and the Arizona Cardinals? Niners 10-3, Cardinals 3-10. They are tied with the Patriots for the second worst record in the entire league. I do think their record doesn't tell the full story because, one, they're coming off the bye week. And even Kyle Shanahan himself said that Cardinals team, this Cardinals team and who they're going to play at home in Arizona this Sunday reminds him of the two, uh, 2017 San Francisco 49ers in which they what were 1 in 10 and the year ended up finishing 6 and 10 because Jimmy G comes in and reinvigorates the franchise they won their last 5 games. Uh, add on to that, this is San Francisco's first time seeing Kyler Murray this year off the injury after tearing his ACL last year and since Murray's return, they're 2 and 2. The offense, although not great, has averaged 19 points per game, rushing over 120 yards in three of their last four games. And to put it simple, Kyler Murray just brings something else that Josh Dobbs, who was benched by Minnesota this past week, just doesn't bring to the offense. Yes, there's explosiveness. Yes, there's long touchdown throws downfield to speedsters like Hollywood Brown and Michael Wilson and Rondell Moore and even Greg Dorch is back in the action. But he just brings another dynamic. It's almost like going from Drew Locke to Geno Smith in a way, right? Where Geno's a fine quarterback and then Drew Locke is quite the drop-off. It's going from Kyler Murray to Josh Dobbs, now back to Kyler Murray, where it's like Josh Dobbs is... Fine, he's a backup for a reason. He'll win you a handful of games, but the luck runs out. Kyler Murray is a top 10 quarterback, top 12 quarterback. He's someone you point to and say, man, like this kid has it. It's been evident since his years in college at Oklahoma. Brock, or Brock Purdy, Kyler Murray has an X factor tune that most quarterbacks don't have. Now, it's usually extending plays. It's usually on the ground, but... If he can just stay healthy, which he's had a hard time doing, mind you, he's going to be one of the best quarterbacks in the league if he can just stay healthy again. Over his last four games since his return, Kyler Murray has averaged roughly 22% of his team's rushing yards. Now, again, they've rushed for over 120 yards in three games and had over 170 in one of those games. He's adding another element to to their offense in which Josh Dobbs didn't have. Which at the time, the Cardinals had just beat Dallas, were riding high off of that win, and James Conner was playing great football. 
Then Connor gets hurt. Josh Dobbs gets traded. Now Murray's back. Now Connor's back. And they're feeling, or, or they're trying to salvage a lost season so far. They're trying to refined their their motto We're trying to establish the culture there that was lost with cliff kingsbury now jonathan gannon being the head coach yeah they're three and ten not a great team in fact they stink but it's games like this that can flip the switch go back 2017 like kyle shanahan said oh niners beat the texans and they beat some bad teams then they go out there and play the number one ranked defense in Jacksonville and drop 44 or 45 points on them. And you're like, oh my God. Like, this Niners team, if Jimmy can stay healthy, is going to be something leads to his extension. The same thing is similar for the Cardinals. The Cardinals don't know if they want to keep Kyler Murray. They're bad enough to maybe have the number one, number two overall pick. There could be a quarterback in there, a la Caleb Williams, maybe a Drake May. Maybe a Michael Penix, who knows? But Kyler Murray is essentially playing for his job, his title, in Arizona, or at least could be. They want to reestablish that culture. Kyler Murray wants to be the quarterback of this team. They are going to push so hard to win this game. You saw San Francisco beat Seattle and Philadelphia, and Seattle again, they have a five-game win streak. Do you know what it would mean to a young, rebuilding team to come in have the number one seeded San Francisco 49ers come into your own home and then you beat them. That would be the plan. That would be a culture establishing, a culture building win for the Cardinals. That's the goal. They're going to come in ready to fight like Seattle was. Again, while the game against Seattle didn't feel like much, it was 14 to 10 for a large portion of it. It was a one score game for a large portion of that. They've won three tough games in a row. You had to have them. Now you've accomplished the number one seed again. You've clinched the playoffs. If there was going to be a game where you had a lull or like, okay, you know, the job's done, this could be that game. Now, Fred Warner said himself, job ain't done. Number one seed, job ain't done. We have a goal in mind. It's to get back to the Super Bowl and actually win it. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. But... It doesn't always resonate with every single player. Now, I'm not worried about the offense. Debo and Ayuk and McCaffrey and Kittle and Purdy and the offensive line that ranks 20th in the entire league in pass block rate, which, hey, Cam Newton, take that again. <laughs> um, my worry would be the Niners' defense because, and now, mind you, I'm filming this Thursday morning, I do not have the Thursday evening practice report, so keep that in mind. I have no idea if this is going to be exactly accurate, but based off what we have from yesterday being Wednesday, I would assume some of this will still ring true, so bear with me here. Yesterday being Wednesday, Eric Armstead didn't practice. Javon Hargrave didn't practice. 
Oren Burks already ruled out, didn't practice. Trey Greenlaw didn't practice. Mooney Ward didn't practice. Now, some of those guys obviously hurt more than others. Oren Burks isn't the biggest loss in the entire world, but then you have your two starting defensive tackles, Hargrave and Armstead, and that's not great. Mooney Ward, the number one cornerback, that's not great. And Greg Greenlaw, where Burks can't play, and Greg Greenlaw can't play. Well, you got D. Winters, you got Jalen Graham, oh, that's not favorable. Now, you got Fred Warner still, and he'll pick you up certainly, but you got to question some things. I do think that because, or if San Francisco doesn't have at least four of those five guys, being Armstead, Hargrave, Ward, Greenlaw, or Burks, the Cardinals might be able to use their speed against San Francisco. Now, Hollywood Brown is questionable coming into Sunday's game, but you have Michael Wilson from Stanford, you have Greg Dortch, and you have Rondell Moore. Um, if Mooney Ward cannot play in this game, which I would like to think he'll push to play, but if he can't play because of the groin injury, you are going to likely have Lenore back outside, you're going to have Amber Thomas on the outside. Well, who does that put put back in the nickel? That's Isaiah Oliver. And if there's one thing you do not want against Isaiah Oliver, it is high-intensity, blazing speed of the Hollywood Browns, the Michael Wilsons, the Rondell Moores, the Greg Dorches, who may not be the best receivers, may not have the best hands, may not be the best separators, you get them the ball in space, then you see the Niners tackling issue creep back up, especially if Drew Greenlaw isn't out there, especially if Hargrave and Armstead aren't out there. Then you have this issue of we have a, a slow nickel cornerback against some of the fastest guys in the entire league. That is recipe for disaster. Now, if I'm San Francisco and I don't have Mooney Ward, you know what I do? I tell Sam Womack, you're playing outside today. I Tell Daryl Luter Jr., hey, you're starting today. Maybe, dare I say, you start Jason Verrett after you signed him for the first game. I can't afford to have Isaiah Oliver cost us this game or get burnt so much in this game. Now, Verrett sounds far-fetched. Luter sounds far-fetched. But I would not be surprised if San Francisco doesn't want to leave the nickel, the slot receiver, open to just dice them up the entire game. And I wouldn't be surprised if Lenore goes back to the nickel and Womack plays the outside. They don't love Womack at nickel. If it makes your unit better to play him on the outside, to make sure Oliver isn't on the field, so be it. I'd rather you get beat almost on the outside, where you have help with Gibson or Brown, than at nickel, where you're just hoping no one beats you on a crosser, because that's 30 yards downfield easy knowing how fast their receivers are. Keep going there. Fred Warner's going to play if Greenlaw can't play. Then you have Trey McBride, who has been what the one of the best tight ends this year, who since week eight has 54 targets since Kyler Murray's return has been one of the best tight ends in the entire league. 54 targets, 41 receptions, 440 yards and two touchdowns. He's been awesome. He's been better than Travis Kelsey throughout that stretch. He's been equal to T.J. Hawkinson, if not better than him. He's been Sam Laporta, George Kittle levels of play. Now, Kittle's been otherworldly recently, but McBride has been one of the better young tight ends in his second year in the NFL. He's been awesome. So, 
you have maybe no green law and it's a winters or it's a maybe a Jalen Graham and you're sitting back like great like you got Warner on tight ends but let's say he gets pulled off what's going to happen do you play a three safety set do you have Logan Ryan out there do you have Jason Verrett how do you play this do you have somebody in the box 90% of the time because then knowing you are maybe weakened on defense and you, you got to play a little matchup game here then you now have essentially your first test against a mobile quarterback in Kyler Murray who in a way is going to prepare you for Lamar Jackson Lamar is a different beast entirely but Kyler in a way is like a baby step to Lamar He's going to extend plays with his feet. He's going to make plays with his legs. He's going to extend drives, open up pockets, evade pressure. Not eliminate, but he's going to limit the Nick Bosa's, the the, the Chase Young's, the Farrell's, the Gregory's presence in this game. He's going to make it tough for San Francisco to get off the field defensively. And knowing you're already hurt, knowing that you aren't really up to full strength, again, if Armstead and Hargrave and, and Mooney Ward and Greenlaw can't play, you're losing four starters, and you already don't have Hufunga, you don't have five starting caliber players on your defense. Now, I would like to think the rest of that unit can pick them up, but it's one of those games you sit back and you're like, if there's gonna be one you play down to, or if there's a game that kind of surprises you, it might be this one. Now, I'm still going to pick San Francisco to win. I wouldn't be surprised if they're favored by 10.5 points again, if not 14 points again. I get all that. I just think there's always that one game every year for San Francisco that you sit back and you go, how did we lose that one? 2019, Falcons down the stretch. Last year, different story, massive run, but early in the year, Denver Broncos, who were just awful. Bears, who were just atrocious in 2021. You're like, what is going on? How do we lose that game? Like, wh what? <laughs> this game, while it doesn't feel like a loss, it does feel like it's a game where you're banged up. Cardinals are on a bye week. They're coming in fresh. They're quick. They're fast. What they're able to do offensively, knowing the, the hindrances you have due to injury on defense... They might be able to at least go blow for blow for you or blow for blow with you for three and a half quarters. Or they might put you on your heels early and you're like, how did that happen? Even go back to last year in which San Francisco won that game against the Cardinals. First drive of the game, A.J. Green, who slow as heck but tall as heck, beats Lenore downfield for a massive touchdown. You're like, how did that happen? The Cardinals stink. Now, again, San Francisco won that game, but it doesn't just stop there because... If Armstead and Hargrave can't play, and Hargrave will likely be questionable and he's going to try to play, they said he could have a chance to play. So you're hurt on the defensive back room, no Mooney Ward most likely. You're hurt when it comes to tackling and guarding tight ends if Dre Greenlaw can't play. And if Armstead and Hargrave can't play, then you're perceptible to runs up the middle. Well... Then you have Kinlaw, and you got Gibbons, and you got Kalia Davis, who I like those three guys. Kinlaw's played great the past two weeks. Gibbons was phenomenal against the Seahawks one week ago. And Kalia Davis has been a pleasant surprise in his first few games of action. But how are they going to clog the middle? 
Do you trust them? I like those players. They're not Armstead. They're not Hargrave. They can get a job done against a poor team like the Cardinals, but James Conner is no slouch. James Conner is a good running back, top 10, I think, in my eyes. He's someone that can change the game on screen routes, up the middle runs, uh, on the outside. He's someone that can kind of do it all, but doesn't get the stats or doesn't get the appreciation he actually deserves because he plays in Arizona on a bad team. If there is a game where San Francisco could play down to an opponent or because the injuries make them have to play backup role players like a D. Winters or a Jalen Graham, it's all kind of leaning towards the Cardinals could pull this thing off. Now, again, I'm going to pick the Niners to win this game because why wouldn't I? I think anybody in the entire country would say, outside of the one Cardinals homer, that, yeah, San Francisco should win this game despite the injuries. It's a massive test for the defense, but I do think even if they falter at points, I do think the offense should be able to carry them to victory. Because let's be honest here, um, I was doing the prep for the podcast, looking for stats, looking for, you know, where could we find the holes in the Cardinals' defense? Where can the Cardinals find holes in the Niners' offense? And the holes in San Francisco's offense were only cleared because of the potential injuries, right? There really hasn't been one. Their run defense has been the best since, like, the bye week. Their passing defense has been great outside of one or two throws since the bye week. They've been the number one defense since the bye week, week eight. Jacksonville going forward, they've been one of the best units in the entire league. And you get to the Cardinals and you say, where are the holes? And you say, oh, it's not one hole. It's not two holes. It's just a gigantic hole. <laughs> it is a hole, <laughs> right? It's, they are one of the worst defenses in the entire league. Now, again, going back to Kyle Shanahan's point that in 2017, uh, new coaching staff, new defensive coordinator, Later in the year, the players you have, albeit maybe not the best personnel, start to play better, start to catch up to where the coaching is, and they start to play better, right? That has been kind of the case, but they've played teams like Pittsburgh. Not a great offense. They lost to teams like the Texans, who were having a bad day that game. And you beat teams like the Falcons. And you're like, the, the teams aren't like... The, the offenses they have played have not been, you know, starting top 10 caliber offenses. They've been Desmond Ritter and Taylor Heineke and Kenny Pickett and Trubisky. It's like, what is going on? Like, your defense is struggling to stop those players. Now you're playing, again, a top three, top four scoring offense in the entire league. The most explosive offense in the entire league. There really is no chance for the Cardinals offense to stop San Francisco in this game. So, again, not little holes. It's one big hole. They, <laughs> opponents pass the ball the third most against them. They give up the highest completion percentage in the entire league. Nearly 70%, 69%. Great number. Opponents average nearly seven yards per pass against them. So, two passes, 15 yards that's how bad they've been. Teams are averaging three touchdowns against them through the air. Not good. 
not good. Brock Purdy should have himself a freaking field day. San Francisco should be able to sustain long drives offensively as well. Because opponents have a 46% third down conversion rate against the Cardinals defense. That ranks second best. Meaning the Cardinals have the second worst third down defense in the entire league. On the ground, which again, Chris McCaffrey had four touchdowns against the Cardinals in week four. The Cardinals give up 4.4 yards per run. That ranks eighth worst in the entire league. They give up the third most rushing yards per game at 139, basically 140 yards a pop. The Niners should have themselves a field day. I could probably say the Niners offense is playing better now than they were when they put up, what was it, 35 points against the Cardinals in Week 4. Debo's more involved, having, what, five touchdowns in his past three or two two games. Kittle's been more involved recently. McCaffrey's been doing McCaffrey-like things. Ayuk has been great. It just feels like the unit's back together. They're playing at a high clip. And the Cardinals, albeit their offense is playing better when it comes to having their stars on the field, it just feels like this game... If the Cardinals are going to want a chance to win, they're going to have to win a shootout against the Niners, and that's not likely. And even then, Nick Bosa's still there, and you got Chase Young, and even with the potential limited aspects on defense being no Hargrave and no Armstead and maybe no Greenlaw, no Mooney Ward, even if the Cardinals beat San Francisco defensively, right, where they score 21 points... I would still expect San Francisco to score 30. Like, they're playing one of the worst, if not the worst, defensive unit in the entire league. It's an NFC West opponent. I get that. The Cardinals, 2017 Niners, they're going to play tough. They're going to play better off the bye week. They're healthy. They're rested. I've made a case as to how and why the Cardinals could at least surprise or maybe put up a fight against San Francisco. I've made that case. I'll continue to state that. But I do think San Francisco is going to win this game. I think Brock Purdy is going to have another field day where he had 368 yards against the Seahawks last week, career high, right? Almost 370. I do think San Francisco is going to run the ball a lot against the Cardinals. Again, 140 yards per game. Why would you not? Um... I do think this is a game where maybe we see a little more Jordan Mason. But even then, even if it's not maybe the the highest passing yard game for Purdy, this could be his most precise game, his most accurate game, his most efficient game of the entire season. And he's already had a perfect passer rating (laughs) this year. Like what he should be able to do against this team is set career highs everywhere. Now, I won't predict that, but if you're looking for a reason to to not call him a game manager, it'll be this game, where it's like, yeah, like, he should be able to crush this Cardinals defense, and it's funny to hear certain fans are like, well, Buda Baker's back. Who, who cares? Who cares? It's not like Buda Baker's going to make 10 other players play better. What about Zaven Collins? 
the Cardinals are still in this transitional period where they could play up to you. They could beat you. They've had 10 days or what, what over a week and a half to prep for you. Sure. San Francisco's banged up. That's a recipe for an upset. I get that. I totally get that. It just feels like one of those games where you have to be hyper-focused on fighting through the injuries, fighting through the, the mental blockage of, we should beat this team. We should have this game wrapped up. This shouldn't be a battle. This shouldn't be a test. Fight through that. Push through that. Because they're going to come out there wanting to defend their home field and thinking that oh, the team's banged up. We have a chance. We have a chance. If you're San Francisco, you want to do what you did against Seattle last week. Now, Seattle's a much better team than the Cardinals. Seattle has a better chance to fight against you. But like against Seattle, it took two plays to score seven points. Do that against this Cardinals team, it's over. It's over. It's really that simple because once you take the fight out of the dog against the Cardinals, there's not going to be any fight left. There's no way. You keep them in the game, you become you know, a little lackadaisical, you make a few mistakes, fumble once, throw a pick, all of a sudden they're feeling pretty good. They're a young team that wants to make a statement. They're a young team that wants to pop you in the mouth. They're a young team that's like, hey, we may be 3-10, and 10, but we're going to be 4-10 and 10 by the end of this one. Like, that's all possible. You have to keep your foot on the pedal. Foot on the gas. If you don't... Uh, the Cardinals could shock you. Now, again, I'm leaning towards San Francisco. My money's on San Francisco. I'm sure yours is as well. Um, and, and look, today's Kyle Shanahan's birthday. First off, happy birthday, Kyle. Let's go out there and get him a win. You bring back Jason Verrett. It's Kyle Shanahan's birthday. It's almost Christmas time. We're feeling pretty good, right? Go out there and get a win. Get a win. And do what you can to put an end to any hope early in this one. You put an end to the hope early, that's a victory at the end of the day, and you go on, hopefully getting healthier against the Ravens in two weeks on Christmas Day, and we're feeling all good about our chances then. These next two weeks, the bird gauntlet, it's almost done. You can't let this one be the one that bites you in the butt. This cannot be the game. Now, I don't think a Brock Purdy-led offense, a non-game manager offense, the gunslinger he is, right? I don't think this offense is going to let that happen, but don't be shocked if that Cardinals offense takes a few shots and actually cuts San Francisco pretty deep. I wouldn't be surprised, and I'll even say this, I think this game will be, I'll say 31-20. to 20. I'll give the Cardinals 20 points, but I think it'll be like 24-20 to 20 late, and San Francisco then puts the game away and scores a touchdown. 10-point victory. Gets over 30. Uh, McCaffrey should have over 100 yards in this game. Debo will probably have a quiet game in my opinion. But I think Ayuk's going to have over 85 to 100 yards in this one. It just feels like a, it feels like a game where you sit back and you go, Oh, like that was actually a, a nice, tough-fought game. But the box score will say it was a 10-point victory and you move on, right? You just hope no one gets hurt. You gotta have Kinlaw and, and you gotta have Givens and you gotta have your cornerbacks play better, right? You can't have a a, a, you know, a DK Metcalf massive first quarter against you and that carries over. San Francisco did a great job stopping that against Seattle. 
last week when they held him down to nothing for three quarters afterwards. You can't let that carry over. Cardinals possess speed. Isaiah Oliver, just keep the guy in front of you, please. Please, please, keep him in front of you, please. Anyways, folks, shorter podcast today. Thank you for listening. Thank you for watching. Happy holidays. Merry Christmas. Happy Hanukkah. Happy Kwanzaa. Whatever you celebrate. I hope you have a holly jolly, whatever you want to call it. Um, look, Niners, Bergauntlet's almost there. We already clinched the playoffs, folks. We're going back to the offs. Now let's clinch the NFC West against the Cardinals. Give them no shot, no chance sweeping them again for the second consecutive year and inching closer to sweeping the NFC West for the second consecutive season. Let's force other teams to have to win to climb up the ranks. Cardinals, they're out of it. The Rams are still in there somewhere. The Eagles want the number one seed back. The Cowboys are trying to fight for the number one seed. You keep winning, you have to make those teams fight even harder. You can't let this one spoil the fun of what last week and the past two weeks have been. Come out there, fight, get the job done, and cap this one off. I say 31-20. to 20. San Francisco gets the victory in Arizona, and they get to come back home on Christmas Day and play the Baltimore Ravens. Woo! Bergauntlet's almost over. So many wings have been clipped. Let's add another one to the freaking list make it six games in a row again thank you for watching thank you for listening if you could it's a free way to help the show leave a like on youtube leave a review on the podcast platforms give us five stars put whatever you want in the comments again all we ask five stars and you can put whatever you want down below it helps the show it's easy it's free if you want to follow us on social media at 49ers underscore access is the Twitter or X, whatever you want to call it. At 49ers dot access is the Instagram. We're almost at 25,000 followers combined on both those two platforms. Keep those things moving up in the ranks, helping the show, helping the podcast. It's greatly appreciated. If you want to go to any Niner game, you want to go to that Christmas Day game at Levi Stadium against the Ravens, use that promo code 49ersaccess up above right here, 49ERSACCESS at SeatGeek.com and save yourself $20 off your first purchase. That promo code also works for playoff games. Those tickets are astronomical. You want to save 20 bucks, use that promo code up right here and save yourself $20 off your purchase at SeatGeek.com. Again, happy holidays. Merry Christmas. Thank you for watching. Thank you for listening. Hopefully we get that win on Sunday against the Cardinals, making it six games in a row. And until next time, stay faithful.